Hey, so good to see you guys today. Isn't that awesome, those, those uh, going public, those baptisms, uh, testimony? That's so good. I love it. Uh, welcome to The Grove. If you don't know me, my name is Eric Matoya, Pastor The Grove, and we're thrilled you're here. Uh, we're in a series called The Ascent. I want to say welcome all those two online. Thanks for tuning in with us this week also. We appreciate you guys. We start off by last week by saying that being a disciple is not acquiring more information about God, but acquiring skills in faith. So before Christians were known as Christians, they were known as disciples. Everybody say disciple. That's what, that's what we were called before we were called Christians, right? We, we've been known as Christian because it, it was tied to, to Jesus teaching Christian. But when he was calling the, his disciples, he was calling them disciples. And here's what you need to know about a disciple. Is that a disciple, someone who's following Christ, is not somebody who knows a lot about the Bible. Is not somebody who knows a lot about God or knows a lot about life or whatever. It's somebody who wants to become like the rabbi. We're trying to become like Jesus, right? And so a disciple is about becoming, not just about knowing. And so that was, uh, we talked about the last week. If you missed the last week's podcast, you can catch it. We said this, that the faith journey is a process of transitioning from one degree of glory to the next. So Paul tells us that if you want to know what it looks like, what this faith journey is supposed to look like, it means you go from one degree of glory to another degree, which means you're looking more and more like Christ, right? You're, the way you act, the way you talk, it, the way you think is looking more and more like Christ throughout, throughout your journey. Um, if you're not ascending, then you're uh, not living the faith journey the right way. And so this series is about giving us the skills that we need to be able to continue to ascend, to continue to, to climb, right, to move forward. Um, we said this last week, to go someplace new, if you want to go someplace new, you have to leave someplace or something else that's old, right? You have to leave the old, 2019, let's go into 2020. We have to leave the past, the destruction, destructive behaviors, addictions, whatever it is, so we can move into something new. And here's what I know. All of us have hopes and dreams that look like this, like our better marriages, better finances, better everything. But too many of us, our habits are like this. So when you have hopes like this, but habits like this, you'll never get to your goal. And if there's a gap from where you are to where you want to be, you need to learn how to close that gap. And this series is saying, let's close that gap. Let's, let's learn some skills to close that gap. Let's learn some skills to continue to keep climbing. All right? So this series is found in the book of Psalms. It comes out of the book of Psalms. Uh, it's, it's 15 Psalms that are called the Songs of Ascents. All right? And what they are is some, from Psalm 120 to 134, uh, there's these songs that the pilgrims would sing as they're going back to Jerusalem for the different festivals, the different times of worship. And so we've taken these 15 and we're saying, let's learn some principles and skills that it talks about so we can have the tools we need to continue to get better in life, right? And so show the next picture for me. Uh, this last week, what we did is on Thursday, we released a video. And so last Sunday, we did Psalm 120, which was the first of the 15. And then on Thursday, we released the second one, which is Psalms 121, short video, about almost six minutes long. Um, and then today we're going to do 122, which is the third in the series. And the reason we're doing this is because we didn't want to do a 15-week-long series because that's really long. And so uh, we're going to do seven um, on Sundays, and we're going to do eight in, in, on, in the midweek. And we thought this would be great, right? So this journey would be on Sundays you learn something, you apply it for a few days, and then you learn something new, you apply it for a few days. You come on Sunday, you learn something new, you apply it for a few days. It's kind of give us a, a pattern and rhythm. And hopefully what we're going to see is we're going to learn some skills to continue to do this, right? And every day, every week, you're, you're making choices to say, I'm getting better. My thinking is getting better. My talking is getting better. Everything I'm doing is getting better. That's our hope. And so this uh, coming week, in the midweek, we'll release another video of Psalms 123. And so if you're, some of you might be fasting social media, so don't worry. It's on our website. Just go to our website on Wednesday or Thursday, and we'll, be, we'll send out emails uh, if you're on our email list. If you're not on our, on our card, fill that, fill out, say, I would love to be a part of that email list, and we'll add you to it. But I'll send an email even the week when video is ready, and that'll just keep us on track, right? So it's Sunday and then midweek, and just continue to help us on this journey. So uh, go learn that, more about uh, what we're doing in the Song of Sense. And if you missed last Sunday, highly encourage you to go listen to it, because, or, or Thursday, because they talked about two different ideas, two different skills that we need to continue to climb, and this week we're just going to continue to build upon that. 
Um, and I don't actually think you have to do one before the other, but um, they, they, any, any of these skills will help you get better. Uh, but if you continue to learn them, you, you will get better. Every uh, beginning of the year, so this is the second Sunday of 2020, and every, every uh, last few years, as I start of the year, one of the books that I like to read, I go back to it because it's just a great book, it's called The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. And if you're ever looking for a great author to read, his name is Charles Duhigg. He has every book he's written. It's, just, it's, it's a great read because it engages you and it's just fun to read. But he wrote this book called The Power of Habit and how habits impact our life. And he, he talks in this book about this man named um, William James, who was an American psychologist in the late 1800s. And so one of the first of his, his kind in the, in the U.S. when he was learning, and, uh, and just he, he has some fantastic things to say. Well, he quotes him in the beginning of the book, and he ends the story at the end of the book. And this is what he, William James said. He said, all of our life, so far as, it defined, as, so far as it has definite form, is but a mass of habits. And these habits, notice how he, what, he, what he says about our habits. They're practical, they're emotional, they're intellectual. So our habits are formed by the things we do, by the things we feel, and the way we think, right? So he's saying these, it's a mass of habits, and it's systematically organized for our will or our woe. And don't worry, I had to go look up will also. I was like, I don't know what that word means, right? That means well-being, right? So, it, so they're systematic. Our habits are organized either for our well-being or for our destruction, right? For something good or for something bad in our lives. Habits are leading to something positive or leading to something negative. And bearing us irresistibly towards our destiny, whatever the latter may be. So our destiny is leading us that way. Is it leading up or is it leading down? Um, and so he's saying it's our habits. And so in this book, A Mindset, he talks a lot about habits. And this is what I know. In our lives, um, habits, they're a big deal because um, it's, it's how we continually think. It's mindsets that we've gra- grasped on, uh, onto, and then we, we start living out and acting in a certain way, and it, they start informing how we do things. So the, the way we um, you know, wake up, the way we brush our teeth, all these different things, they become habits. And in some cases, some habits are really good for us, and they're good to continue. In some cases, they're really bad for us, and they're leading us astray. So we need to learn how to get better. And so in this series, a big part of what we're talking about is, is when it comes to our hopes and aspirations, if you don't put the right habits in place, you won't be able to do that. So habits are the skills that we need in life, right? What are those habits? What are those skills that we need to be in practicing and living out so we can have an upward climb, right, an ascent to go up? Um, so for me, um, one of the things that, that I'm always doing is I'm always trying to learn and grow. So I read a lot. I, I ask a lot of people a lot of questions. Um, and then as our church, because we're five years in, we've done really well um, in starting the Grove. And uh, some different organizations have asked us to come and help coach other church planners. And so over the last few years, our church has been able to invest and pour into other couples that are starting churches, um, which is, is just an honor, right? And so today, in fact, today in, in Westminster, Colorado, um, where's North? Is that North? Yeah. Westminster, Colorado, a couple is planning a church there. Their first Sunday is today. That's pretty cool. And so it's a church that we poured into, we invested into to help them get started. So we're cheering them on, and I'll tell you more about them next week, all right? But um, so when, I, when I'm le- I want to be the best that I can be. When I think of this, this journey we're on, right, this journey of faith is a climb. It's an ascent, or it should be. That's what that, when you do it correctly, it's an ascent. You're getting better. You're climbing. And on this, I think of myself as a coach, as a guide, as a, a, a fellow climber, right, a companion on this journey with many of you guys. And so I'm always saying, well, if I'm going to help people, I should be able to get, learn how to help people better. What are those skills that I need to be a better coach? And so the last couple of years, I've gotten coaching on how to be a coach to these church planners. So I've gotten a, a more mature uh, church planners and leaders and counselors, and they teach me how to be a better uh, coach. And so I always like to share what I learned because when I learn something, I'm thinking, this is so helpful for me. I'd love to pass it on. And so one of the things that he taught me, this coach, is he said, uh, there's this, this idea that's called triple loop learning, right? Um, most people stay in single loop 
Um, some will get to double loop, but very few get to triple loop. And if you want to get triple loop, you have to have outside support to be able to do that. And, and let me just show you a diagram of what this looks like. So on the left-hand side, single loop is that first little loop, right? Um, it's made up of – it's usually focused on the externals. It's an action and a result. You do something, you get a result. And most people do this, like, all right, I want to start something or stop something. I'm going to try this, and then I, you get the result. It worked or didn't work. I didn't work, so I'm going to try something different. I'm going to try this. And we try to change our actions and what we're doing um, to try to get a different result. And that's not bad because that's incremental improvement. When you do something, you change something that's not working for something that does, you begin to get some improvement. But typically, that's an external. We focus on the externals, and we just try things on the outside, right? The next stage is double loop. This is where you add, some, add a frame, framework to it or a strategy, right? This is what we call reframing. And typically, you need somebody on the outside to help you, not always being helping people to begin to help you with the structure. You learn from others, like what they did. And you add this element um, where you begin to reframe your life, right? You, you uh, begin to, to think of different strategies that worked for others, and you begin to try those things. Well, the third one, which is probably the most important, is this is what triple loop is where you add context or identity. Uh, this is transformational when you get to, to transformation in your life. So you don't just move from just incremental improvements. You, you really have a transformation. You become a better person. I really believe this is the kind of learning that the Holy Spirit is, the God, God is always, through the Holy Spirit is always trying to teach us. Is the, it's more internal because it's about identity. It's not just about the action of getting angry and saying something bad. It's about saying, where did that anger come from in the first place, right? Because you could change what you talk, but if you don't change what's making you angry, that talk eventually will become, because what we do is suppress all those things. And if, if whatever is causing you to become angry and you just suppress them, eventually it's gonna, you're going to explode. You can't, your body can't handle it, right? And your emotions, everything can't handle that. So it's really de- dealing with the inside of saying, all right, let's, let's talk about context. Who do you really believe about yourself? Who do you really are? And when you work on the triple loop of this, um, it, it's the, the effects are long-term, not short-term. Single loop is more short-term. Triple loop is more long-term where you're trying to help them. So me as a coach, I'm trying to get people to realize that if they're really going to have major breakthrough and really, really go high, they have to change things on the inside, not just the outside. And that's really the focus is, is let's do some transformational, let's add some context. And the coach that was teaching me said, this is why it's so important to learn this because 95% of our choices that we make um, are made out of emotion. So 95% of your choices on a daily basis are made out of emotion, or I could say out of a habit. Right? You've somehow your mindset has informed you how to react in certain situations. And it's an emotion that drives that. Somebody says something to you, if it's bad, you react. If, if you're not good at controlling yourself, you react with anger and lash back out, right? It's informed by an emotion, and, it, and you do that. And so until you change how you, what you believe about yourself, right? When somebody says something to you, you don't get so um, caught up because it's, it's not offending you because you understand that they're probably hurt and they're saying this out of a hurt. So instead of getting offended, you're going to say, all right, I'm going to try to be helpful in the situation. Well, that's, that's a learned thing, right? You learn to control those emotions. You learn to direct and have a better approach, right, in that. So this is part of the coaching that I'm learning. Another one I've shown you before, which I love, this is probably my favorite one, it's the result cycle. And the result cycle initially says um, our, the results that we're getting, they don't come from our behaviors. They actually come from our beliefs. So it starts at beliefs, which informs our behaviors, which impacts our quality relationships, which then give us the results. And that just informs our beliefs again. What I mean by that is so our beliefs is what we hold true to believe about people, what we will believe to hold true about God or power or work or relationships or money. Right? It's, it's the beliefs about whatever it is that what we believe about those things. So if, the, if those are negatives, for example, if you believe work is the worst thing in the world, right, you hate work, you, don't, you despise it, you don't want to show up to work. Well, Monday, when, if your beliefs about work on Monday are bad, what is your behavior most likely going to be? 
Look at your watch. It's going to be bad. I can't wait to get out of here, right? Which is then going to impact the quality of your relationship with work and with the people around you. And how do you think those are going to be? Bad, right? And so then the result you get is you had a bad day at work because essentially that's what you had, which only informs your belief about work again, right? Monday at night, you're like, it was a horrible day. Tomorrow's going to be a horrible day. I hate, I hate work. And the results, they, they keep going round and round because our beliefs, they determine our behaviors, right? And then um, which influence our degree of openness with others, our trust, our, our, the quality of relationships with others, how they affect us. And that only just reinforces. It's just this loop that keeps going. The result cycle is why we get what we get because of what we think, what we believe about ourselves. So I believe when we read scripture, what God is trying to help us with is change something about how we believe about ourselves. There's potential in you. You have some good things for your life, right? He's helping us to see something we don't to combat a lot of times the words and the things that were done to us that would, would say contrary and want to keep us, keep us down. So when it comes to beliefs, right, how do you identify those? What, what, what is going on? What's informing our behaviors, our habits? Um, how do you understand what people really value? Well, a great way to test people's values is to observe what we do when we don't have anything to do. So how do you spend your leisure time? How do you spend your extra money? You're like, that's easy. I don't have any leisure time. I don't have that extra money, right? Okay, well, even that statement says something about your values. Why don't you have leisure time, and why don't you have extra money? And in some cases, I get it. Certain seasons of life requires more of us, and we have to be at work more, whatever. But a lot of times, maybe it's we're too proud to say we need to cut back, or it's okay if we don't have to have a bigger bank account than our brother or sister or neighbor, right? Those values are informing why we do things. And so some of us keep going, going, going because of a value we have where really the healthy thing needs to be is, is this really important? Is this long-term a benefit or is this just a short-term thing and how do i organize myself so it's, it's, it begins to show us how we do this right um and when we don't have those things ec- extra money or uh, leisure time a lot of times it's because we have something out of order our values are out of order um and god because god says you should have margin in your life extra time and extra money you should learn how to organize yourself in such a way that you manage your life well that there's margins so you're not stressed out and that you can do well so that's a great way to, to to see your values in your life you ask your question what how am i spending things right in the book, I talked about the power of habit. Um, Charles Duhigg, he talks about, they did this study about people when they go shopping. And he said that 50% of our shopping, when, uh, of buying habits, comes at the moment of our shopping. These are even people that go with the list of saying, I'm going to only buy these things. When they get there, their habit, actually 50%, is they'll change what they want in the moment of that. And so um, if you're, you, know, you have the list, you go in, you might save some money. But they figure this out, store to figure this out, that psychologically they do things differently to get us to buy more things, right? So if, if you walk in stores, they order their stores in certain ways. Um, like, for example, um, there, if you've been to the cereal aisle, uh, you don't start in A, like the A cereals, and it doesn't go alphabetical, right? You're, you've never been to a store that's alphabetical? They don't do it because they know if it's alphabetical, you'll, it'll be easy for you to identify your cereal, get it, and go home right away. They don't want you to do that. They want you to browse and have to search for your cereal so that along the way you're like, ooh, Cocoa Puffs. I've been eating some of those. Forget the healthy. Let's go with these, right? And in in your browsing, you actually get tempted to get something else. And so they've used these psychological tricks in all stores uh, to to get us to buy more. And a lot of times they buy unhealthy stuff because for whatever reason, that's what it it is. Um, And so one of the studies they did, they're they're walking through and they're studying people. And it's one lady standing in front of the coffee aisle. And to show the the power of habit of buying, she's standing there. And he says, well, what, do you, what kind of coffee are you buying? She says, well, I'm not really crazy about Folgers, but it's what I buy, you know. What else is there? And the guy is literally taking down her answer of, like, how she, her habits. And he says, he looks at the thing, and it's full of all kinds of brands of coffee, like hundreds, right? I don't know how hundreds, but a lot of coffee. Like, just if you've been to the store, the coffee aisle has a lot of different Dunkin' Donuts, Starbucks, you know, the knockoff of Starbucks, the other knockoff of the knockoff of Starbucks, right? 
all of these different kinds of coffee. And she's saying, what else is there? Like, I don't even see anything else because it's a habit. She's gone to that, that Folgers brand for so long, it's become a habit. So they're trying to figure out how do we break that habit in buying so we can get you to buy other things and more things. Anyways, it's a pretty fascinating book when it talks about that. Um, but because our habits are so important. And so, so in this journey of the ascent, one of the things that we're trying to say is what are those habits that we have in our lives and those mindsets that are keeping us down, right? And not, not to climb up, but to just go down. So let's look at the next. Uh, um, well, let me, let me show you one scripture in Proverbs 3. Um, this is what God says about this journey, right? So if you're on this journey, you don't know what way to go. He says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not depend on your own understanding, right? Don't just not what you've learned, not the, not the mindset you have or what culture tells you. But seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. I don't know about you, but when you have decisions to make, if you have somebody that's wiser telling you what path to take, it helps so much more, right? They can see further down the road. This is what God is saying. If you'll trust me, if you'll trust me all your heart, and not just rely on your understanding, what you understand, what you know, what you've been taught to believe, but trust me on this, and you seek me, I'll show you which path to take. Eric, that path looks really good, but it's actually, this is the one you should take. That one's going to be short-term, like, yeah, it's good. This one's going to be like long-term, whoa, this is awesome. And I'd say, God, I want to go, whoa, this is awesome because I trust you, right? And he's telling us what path to take. So let's read Psalm 122, and we'll pull out some skills. I'll read through the whole psalm, and then we're going to walk through it and just talk about some of the different ideas I see there, and then one big skill that I want to talk about today. Uh, so Psalm 122 says this, When they said, Let us go to the house of God, my heart leaped for joy. And now we're here, O Jerusalem, inside Jerusalem's walls. Jerusalem, well-built city. Built as a place for worship, the city to which the tribes ascend, all God's tribes go up to worship. To give thanks to the name of God, this is what it means to be Israel. Thrones for righteous judgment are set there, famous David thrones. Pray for Jerusalem's peace, prosperity to all you Jerusalem lovers. Friendly insiders, get along. Hostile outsiders, keep your distance. For the sake of my family and friends, I say it again, live in peace. For the sake of the house of God, God, I will do my very, very best for you. So we're going to walk through this psalm and pull out some different ideas. So we said last week that these, these 15 songs that are found in the middle, uh, towards the end of Psalm, the book of Psalms, um, they're called the songs of ascent or the songs of the pilgrim or the song of, of going up, right? It's this idea that we're going from one level of living to a higher level of living. For them, uh, they would sing these songs at different times. One would be when, when they're on the pilgrim's journey, um, from, on the pilgrim journey going from whatever far off village back to Jerusalem three times a year for the festivals, Okay. And so on this journey, they would sing these songs as reminders. And so the first psalm that we talked about last Sunday, we talked about how they recognized they were far away from God and the need to turn to God and the need to let God change their path and the way of thinking, right? And then on Thursday, the video, I talked about trust. The next psalm was about this idea of trust, that when we trust God, um, even when we go through hard things, we actually can learn a lot. And so today, um, we'll, we'll go to the next psalm, and they're singing this. And I imagine, so, so some, the 15 psalms are attached to the journey back to Jerusalem, it's also attached to the 15 steps leading up to the temple, all right? Um, and, and in some cases, they don't even sing it when they're there. And so these different songs were sung at different times. And I can only imagine when they're saying this, right? The beginning of the psalm says, when, when they said, let's go to the house of God, my heart leaped for joy. I've been very lucky that I've grown up in churches where um, they've, they've engaged me, and uh, I learned a lot. And uh, growing up, it really wasn't, a couple exceptions, it wasn't like um, um, the worst thing in the world, right? But I have friends. Like, they'd ask me what to do for the weekend. I said, I went to church, you know, on Wednesdays, I went to youth group. Like, you actually want to go? I'm like, yeah, it's, it's pretty good. It's pretty fun. I learned things. And um, they were just surprised that I would want to go to church. And I said, well, you don't go? I'm like, no, that's like the worst thing in the world. We'll go like once a year. 
And it's like boring. We sit there for two hours and, you know, I fall asleep. And, and my friends, they just had this really bad experience because of the tradition they're part of. Didn't really engage them at a young age. Part of that, maybe part of them is their own mindset. But anyways, for them, when they said, let's go to, when they heard, let's go to church, they did not leave for joy, right? It was like, no, heck no, I don't want to go to church. I'd have more fun right here in my bed, right? But the, the psalmist is saying, when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord, my heart, it leaped for joy. For the psalmist, he's saying something that's a big message about they're going to the temple, they're going to worship, and there's something inside of them that says, this is so exciting. I can't wait to get there. And then he says, now we're here, O Jerusalem, inside Jerusalem's walls. In some cases, that might be true. They're actually seeing it inside the walls of Jerusalem. Other cases, they're seeing that on the way there. It's almost like they're saying, I can only imagine how it's going to be. When I can almost picture myself there right now. It's going to be great. I know the benefits of going to church. I know the benefits of going to the house of God. I know what's going to happen, right? Uh, and he says, Jerusalem, Walbet City, built as a place of worship, a city which the tribes of sin, all the tribes go up to worship. So in the Bible, when it talks about worship, a lot of times we get this idea of going to the temple, going to some place, right? And that's an aspect of worship. Coming to the grove, coming to church is an aspect of worship, but it's not the whole thing of worship. Um, see, worship for them, worship was a place where people gathered to remember, to learn, and to celebrate what God said and did. And for them, they didn't have a church they can go every week. They didn't have a church they can, they can or, or small groups they can go in the middle of the week and, and hang out, right, and study scriptures. In some cases, they didn't have the scriptures because it was so expensive to own a copy of those. So when they went to church, when they went to the temple, a few times a year, it was very exciting for them. So it was a place they gathered to remember, to learn, and celebrate what God said and did. Essentially, what, what, they, what they would celebrate and learn is that God created you, God redeemed you, and God provided for you. Let's remember how God provided for our ancestors. Remember how God provided for our family members. He loved us, right? He created us. He redeems us. He provides for us. And going to church is, is, is very similar to that. It's a reminder of, that God created us, that he has done good work for us, and that he provides and takes care of us and helps us. So we can say it like this. Going to church gives us a workable structure for life. When I think of the psalmist, what he's saying, he's saying, when I go to church, it's giving me this structure, this framework for life, Right? Um, and when done correctly, going to church done correctly, you get this solid foundation, this solid structure where we're able to stand and do our work easily without anxiety because we, what, what, we know what God's asking us to do. And, this, and the psalmist is saying, I get this, right? Uh, so so that, and part of that, a big part of that structure, I would say, that Scripture tells us for our life is that, he, that we're made for right relationships. You're made for right relationships with God, and you're made, made for right relationships with other people. Well, how do you know it's a right relationship? A right relationship will lead you this way right? They'll encourage you. They'll ask you to do the right thing. A wrong relationship will do this. Even though they know you're addicted to something, they'll still follow you with that, right? They'll, they'll put it in front of you. A good relationship saying we should get better or not, we should get worse. And so we're made for the right relationships to lead us up, not down. And every Sunday we gather, here's, here's the idea that I, I would love for us to have is we gather to get a working definition for life. You get a skill, you get a principle, that when you come on Sunday, there's one thing that is said. In fact, this is my prayer on Sundays, is that there's one thing that is said, or one th- not, not so much that I say, but that is said from God to you. It might be through what I speak. It might be through the songs that we sing. It might be a word that comes to you just from God saying, this is what you need to focus on this week. Hey, that situation you've been worrying about, I want to help you with that. I believe every single Sunday God is wanting to speak at least one thing. A lot of times it's multiple things, but at least one thing to you, to me, to all of us. And so we gather to get that skill, that principle, a working definition for life, a framework, right? Um, that God created us, that there's a path he wants to lead us on, and we can gauge if we're on that path or if we're off that path every Sunday. We can say, God, am I on this or am I off it? Where are we? What are we doing here? Um, so Eugene Peterson, um, 
He's, he, he, paraphr- he, he translated in the Bible, paraphrased the message translation, great, great one. And, and um, he wrote a book that's called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. It's a walk through the songs of a sense. And this is what he says about um, this idea of a framework, this idea of gathering at a place on, on a given week, you know, on a weekly basis. He says, when a person is confused and things refuse to fit together, sometimes that person announces a need to get out of the noise and turbulence, to get away from all the hassle and get my head together. You ever heard somebody say that before? I just need to get my head together, right? And when that person succeeds, she succeeds in doing this, we call that person now put together. So this person, Russ, when we're going through life and we get distracted, we get pulled in all these different directions, we feel like we're, what, um, our head is kind of not together. Our life is not together. It's kind of out of joints, out of sorts, de- uh, fragmented, right? And so when we come on Sundays, the framework is now we can get put back together. It's a time to get refocused, a time where we can learn and move forward. So we, 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 we gather and say, God, where are we at? Lead us on this path. So the psalm continues. It says this, to give thanks to the name of the Lord, the name of God, is what it means to be Israel. Thrones for righteous judgment are set there, famous David thrones. So the writer is saying this, that worship... Although there's a command to go to the temple, right? So the, the command is to go to the temple three times a year. Worship is not commanded. Worship is a choice that we make. And he says to give thanks to the name of the Lord is what it means to be Israel. Not to gather at church is, the, is what it means to be a Christian. It means that you thank God. That there's this recognition that God is God. He's done something in your life, right? The act of worship is not just the action, but it's also the motive. It's the object behind it. It's the, the reason you do something, right? The action, so if the action is right and you show up, but the motive is wrong, you're missing the point of worship. You're missing the point of coming to church because it's not just the, the act in itself. It's the, the object and the reason behind it, right? So um, when, when, we go, when we go to church, um, it's a choice that we make. Like we get to do these things. We get to worship. We get to go. It's, it's a choice that we are making, right? We're not forced to it. You know, laws are given to keep bad out and to stop us from doing bad, right? Those are your forced to do those things. And there's a lot of laws in the, in the Old Testament that talk about that. And there's this, but, but, but worship is not one of those. Worship is one of those you get to. You, it's a choice that you make. In fact, when we do it because we have to, it's actually not true worship. And God, it misses God. Um, and when, when, the truth is when, when we worship God with the wrong motive, it's really not God we're worshiping. It's something else. And typically it's us. You know, we don't like something that was said, like something they do. That becomes about us, not about God or about others, but it comes about us. And we begin to worship ourselves. And worship is so important in scriptures. And I did a whole series last Sunday. We did a, uh, last year on worship to talk more about what that looks like. If you want to go catch that, you can follow up, um, go back and listen to that. But essentially what I said is this, that the reason worship is such a big focus in the Bible is because God knows this, that we become what we worship. You'll become like the very thing as the, as the object of your worship. If that's a good thing, you're going to become good. And we know God is good, so he's saying worship me because you're going to be, begin to reflect me more. And more. So it's a choice we get to. We don't have to. We get to. Um, and it's a part of God giving us the, the actions and the things that we need to do to move forward. Because Eugene Peterson says like this. He says, when it comes to worship, too many people only depend on their feelings. And he says, worship is not an act that develops feelings for God. Not a, no, uh, sorry. Worship is not an act that develops feelings for God. Not a feeling for God that is expect an act of worship. Um, so worship is it's not out of, out of a feeling. It's out of an act that we're saying God, I'm going to choose to worship you, and I know the feelings are going to follow. See, it's, it's not a forced thing. It's a, it's a choice that we make. And too many of us, when it comes to life, we let our feelings lead the way. And this is the reason a lot of people have um, marriages are lost because, well, we just don't feel like being loved. We don't feel like what we felt like before. Well, feelings don't – they're good liars, and they mislead us. 
And people don't go to work sometimes because of the feelings, or they don't do good at work because of feelings. They don't whatever. And when feelings lead us, a lot of times they mislead us. Sometimes they lead us in good ways, but a lot of times they lead us in bad ways. Um, a lot of pounds are gained, right? Because we feel like eating something, or we feel like that. And a lot of pounds are missed from being lost because we don't feel like doing other things that would help us to lose the pounds, right? It's, it's we let feelings lead. And here's what you need to know about feelings: we can act our way into a new way of feeling much quicker than we can fill ourselves into a new way of acting. So you choose what's right, and the feelings will eventually come behind. Don't wait for the feelings. Choose the right action, and then you'll find that the feelings will actually begin to follow. All right, last part of Psalms 122 says this. Pray for Jerusalem's peace, prosperity to all you Jerusalem lovers, friendly insiders, get along, hostile outsiders, keep your distance. For the sake of my family and friends, I say it again, live in peace. For the sake of the house of our God, God, I will do my very best for you. Jerusalem, the word Jerusalem is made up of two words. Essentially, it means the city of peace. All right, it's, it's the city of peace. Um, so when they, go to, when, when they go to worship, they're going to the city of peace, uh, peace. And he's saying, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray that they'll be prosperous. Um, this idea that you're going to a city of peace because that's where the God of peace dwells. We know now because of the temple, the curtain was torn in two, right? The presence of God is available to everybody. It's not just the temple you go to, but it's available to all of us at all times. And so that's why we have church on Sundays and throughout the week is because now we don't have to wait for three times a year to go to, um, to a temple to worship for days at a time. We can go every single week, which is a, is a gift. It's awesome. And so I would say that the idea here is he's talking about when, what it means to bless what God is blessing. Um, Abraham, in the beginning of the Bible, uh, the, the father of our faith, right? It says that Abraham trusted God and, uh, to, to follow his lead. And, and this is the promise God made to Abraham. He said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. But the blessing is not just for you. The blessing is to, to, for you to, to flow through you to others. So I'm going to bless you and your people and, and your, your um, um, offspring so that the rest of the world will be blessed also. So I'm going to bless you to bless the world. And he made this statement. Those who bless you, I will bless. And those who curse you, Abraham, I will curse. And in this, in this, I, I think the, the psalm, I think, is referring to this where he's saying, if you want to know what to do, bless what God is blessing, right? Don't curse what God is blessing. Bless what he's blessing. And, and follow through and act and do, do what you can to add value to what he's already doing. See, too many times in our lives, we come to God and say, God, please bless this. God, please bless this. Bless my work. Bless my finances. Bless whatever. Where the right prayer is, God, what are you blessing? And let me just join you in what you're blessing. Let me bless what you're blessing. How do you do things, God? What do you want me to do? See, instead of getting in a mess and say, God, fix it, pray the prayer in the beginning saying, God, what do I need to be working on and doing right now? Like, what are you blessing in my life so I can do that? Rather than trying to fix what's not working. And so I would say that when, when it comes to, to following God, bless what he's blessing. Um, as a church, uh, one of the things that we do is, is um, we believe in the first fruits and the tithe. So as a church, every, every offering that comes in on a Sunday, 10% of that goes away to start churches, right, to uh, help missionaries, to help organizations that are doing good around the world, nonprofits, things like that. And we give away that part of it. Why? Because we believe that when we, we have the first fruits saying, God, we put you first, we trust you for the rest, right? We, we're going to do this as a church to, to model it, to show it. Well, the very, very first thing we give every single, single month is the first fruit. is towards um, uh, ministries that reach Jewish people around the world. Why? Because of that promise that God made. Those who bless you will be blessed. Those who curse you will be cursed. And we say, God, we want to bless what you're blessing. So we're going to look for ways to bless what you've always been blessing. And we're going to partner and look for ways to, to be a blessing to those, uh, those original um, members of the family of your, of your original covenant, right? New covenant now opens to everybody, but we're saying, God, we want to, we want to help those. So when done correctly, I think church, when, when we do it correctly, this hour, church goes beyond just the hour, and it actually permeates the whole week. 
Um, so he says in, the, in, the, in this last part, he says, pray, pray to God, ask for the peace. That prayer is not a formal prayer you do at church. That's a prayer, that's an asking he, he says to do during the week. It's this idea that when you're thinking about Jerusalem, you're thinking about what God is blessing, it's a, it's a, you're saying, God, I'm asking you to, to, be, to help them. I'm asking you to do something in them. And really what he's saying is let, let what happens in the temple not just stay there, but let it permeate your whole life every single day. So on Sunday, whatever you learn, let it flow into Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. And when you live that way, it'll have a really big impact in your life. And so he's saying, learn to ask. So here's the skill that I want to talk about for today from this psalm. So Psalm 122, talking about going to church, going to the house of God, uh, going to worship. Here's the skill that I want to talk about we need to have in life, all right? Expectation. Do me a favor. Everybody say expectation. All right. I expected you to say that a whole lot louder, right? So one more time. All right. That's better. Expectation. So I'm going to talk about the expectation mindset and the skill that we need to have um, the right expectations in life. Because here's what, here's what um, uh, there's this great writer, her name is, uh, she's, a, she's a neuroscientist, Dr. Carolyn Leaf, Carolyn Leaf, and um, she's, she's a Jesus, she loves Jesus. And so in her book, she's pointing to God about the mind, how he made the mind, and pretty, pretty awesome. Some of her books are really great. Well, she says this about expectations. She says, expectations actually produce real neurophysiological outcomes in our body. So our expectations actually impact us. Here's what she says about research. She says, research indicates that expecting your physical work to bring about health benefits, such as weight loss, for instance, brings about health benefits such as weight loss. I know. I read that the first time. I'm like, that's a typo. She read, no. When you expect what you're doing to bring about weight loss, you know what the, what the results are? You actually get weight loss that comes with it. She gives an example of this study they did um, with 84 hotel attendants. So uh, these, these women that cleaned rooms, right, in the hotels, um, they, they got 84 of them from seven different hotels. They broke up into two groups. So 42 in one group, uh, 42 in the other group. And between those two, one of the groups they met with, and they said, hey, we want you to know that the activity you do, so they would, they would on average, they would clean about 15 rooms, and it took about 20 to 30 minutes per room. So they said, we want you to know that those 15 or so rooms that you're cleaning a, a day, actually, you meet the requirements that the Surgeon General makes when it comes to physical activity and exercise. And they told 42 women that's what they were doing. So that was it. And the other 42, they didn't say anything about those, um, those, the, what, those results of, of exercising, right? And then they said, let's come back in a month and see what happens. And in just four weeks, when they came back, they began to study. This is what they found, that the first group that was told that, they lost, they lost weight. They lost body fat percentage. They, they lost uh, waist to hip ratios, and their blood pressure decreased. And the other group, they didn't tell anything. Nothing changed. They stayed exactly the same. Now here, they didn't change the way they ate. They didn't change their, their way they exercised after work. All they, all they were told was, what you're doing at work is actually really healthy for you. So I can only imagine if you're one of those ladies that was told, when you go to work and you're vacuuming, you're, you're like into it. Like, I'm going to do some Zumba while I'm vacuuming because this is the best exercise that I got. You're putting those sheets, you're flicking a little harder, you're working those biceps, right? Those times you have to run down the stairs, you're like, I'm not going to take the elevator, I'm going to take the stairs. And you take the stairs. Why? Because now there's an expectation that what you're doing is actually make a difference in your life. That was the only difference, was there's an expectation now in their life of saying, what I'm doing at work is making a positive difference in my life. And that in itself, in a matter of four weeks, began to change the way they viewed work and what they did. She goes on and says this, Dr. Carolyn Leaf says, expecting that the effort you put into preparing for an exam, a test or an essay, will pay off. Or expecting you'll have a good day, or ex- uh, expecting things will work out in relationships can change you, you mentally and physically and increase the likelihood of what you hope coming about. So your hopes, but actually those hopes, right? 
might actually come about when you have the right expectation, when you're expecting it. You know, I don't know if you ever heard of the placebo effect. They did a study in the 70s where they wanted to know, you know, medication, when you're giving it, how it works. Well, they did this group where they gave, you know, some people real medicine, and they gave this other group a fake a placebo that had no medicine in it. Not harmful to them, just, just nothing. And um, what they found was even the people that got the placebo, when they believed it was good for them, they began to show improvements in their body and the same effects that the other people had. Just the belief in themselves that what they were taking was going to be good for them and help them. Well, they also found that there was a negative effect. It's called the nocebo. And a nocebo, so the placebo effect, nocebo effect. In Latin, pl- placebo means I will please, and nocebo means I will harm. And for those that took the placebo, right, but they expected a, a negative outcome, that it was going to make them sick, it was going to, it was going to have bad side effects, they actually had bad side effects. They were taking nothing. It was just a placebo. There was nothing in it. But they had a negative reaction and results to what they were taking. And what they found is, depending on your expectation, will determine really the outcome of, of, how, of what happens to your life. And so she says this, that the main active ingredient in, in, in what we take and what we do in life is actually our mind. It's how we think about things, the expectations of what we have. So here's, here's what I would If I was the enemy, and I'm not, but if I was, right, what I would get... I would get as many people, I would create negative mindsets about, negative mindsets about things that are good for us. So uh, like work and like challenges and like church and like the Bible and like relationships and like school. If I was the enemy, I would get you to believe that those things that are actually good for you are actually bad. And once you begin to believe they're bad, I would leave it at that and just add to that lie. That's really bad. Man, if you're really good, life should be easy, not hard. Why are you going through those difficulties? If God really loved you, he would not let you go through those bad things. Or in fact, maybe the, the challenge and the difficulty you're going through is because God loves you so much, he wants you to get better and not just leave you there, right? But when we expect the bad to, to cause bad in our lives, we get bad in our lives. So if I was the enemy, I would get all of us to begin to believe bad things about good things. And I think this happens to a lot of us. We begin to think negatively about things. And so the outcome then becomes negative. Our beliefs Remember, the result cycle, they lead to our results, right? So what we're believing affects the actions, which affects relationships. So we need to begin to change our expectations. Um, in 2009, there was a man, 60-year-old, his name was uh, Barry Finley, uh, Finlay, and, and um, he was a, an accountant out of Canada. And him and his son did this um, expedition up Mount Kilimanjaro in, in Africa, uh, the highest mountain in Africa. And, it's, and the story says this, that he went up as an accountant and he came down as a philanthropist. Like something in his life just radically changed on this journey of, of summiting uh, Mount Kilimanjaro. Um, he wrote a book, all that. But anyways, what I read about Mount Kilimanjaro is less than half of the people that try to, to make the, the summit actually make it. So less than half actually get up there. So it's a really, really bit hard climb, right? This is what he said about life and about the, the ascent. He said, every mountaintop is within reach if you just keep climbing. Your mountaintop of better marriage, it's within reach if you just keep climbing. Your finances, just keep climbing. Better work environment, keep climbing. Whatever it is, if you would just keep climbing, you're actually in, re- in reach of it. In the beginning of the, me- the service, I talked about uh, William James and how um, um, Charles Dewey referred to him as um, you know, one of, the, one of the, the first of psychologists who really began to make a difference in people's lives. And um, at the end of the book, he actually tells a story about him. Like He's had a good impact on how people know, but a lot of times I can think of what people that know is, is that um, William James, he actually got to a point in his life where he, want, he didn't want to go on anymore. He wanted to end it. He wanted to take his life and commit suicide. And in, in fact, um, he went to medical school and he went through some different things, really didn't feel like he fit in. He tried all these different things and, and in one of his journal entries, he actually chastised himself for not being good at anything. 
And he says, I'm not good. I'm not succeeding. I might as well just end it all. And then he gave a couple days of waiting before he made any major decisions. He didn't go into the action right away, but he waited. And then a couple days later, he wrote in his, in his journal entry, okay, this is what he wrote. In April 30, 1870, he said, at any rate, I will assume for the present until next year that is, that is no illusion, that it is no illusion. My first act of free will shall be to believe in free will. So essentially he was saying, my habits, the things I've been doing, have got me to this place, and it's, I want to end it all, but I'm, I'm going to just try this experiment. What would happen if for one year, instead of believing the bad, instead of just settling with what I have, have got in my life, that I would change and do something different? And so he said for one year, the first act was to believe in free will. He's going to believe that he can make a change and make differences in his life. So he did. So the next day he woke up, and he began to apply himself, and he began to believe things that he never believed about himself before. Like, I have what it takes. I can do this. He ended up um, uh, starting, he started teaching at Harvard. He got married. Um, and then two years later, he didn't take his life after a year. He realized that he was actually doing really good and making some changes, right? The mindset changed, and he began to expect great things. Two years later, he wrote another uh, philosopher. He said, thank you so much for this work you did on free will because I read it and it inspired me and you don't understand how much it meant to me. And essentially, he said it helped me not to kill myself and it helped me to move forward. And he made the decision to move forward. He says this, and one of the things he's famous for saying is this, the will to believe is the most important ingredient in creating belief and change. Just the will to believe, to expect something. He related right that you know, one of the most important methods for creating that belief is habits what we do on a daily basis, how we think about things, what we believe about ourselves, what we believe about others, what we believe about where we're going, right? Because here's the truth. We will all grow to what we, in the way that we exercise. It's like a paper that's creased, right? When you fold the paper and you crease it, that crease stays there. Well, in life, we're doing things like that. And we're, we're making, making ha- habits and patterns in our life. And until we change that and straighten out the crease and do something different with it, we'll keep getting what we keep getting, right? It's, it's to think and to act, the more we think and act in certain ways, the more we create the world that we live in. We can choose that. So your thoughts and your actions, or we could say your habits, they create the world that you're living in. Your thoughts and your actions, they create it. So we first, we make our habits, right, from our values, and then our habits actually make us. So your life, where are you at? Is it this? Is this the, are you on the ascent? Are you on the descent? Are you kind of just stuck? Well, you have the ability to say, I'm going to choose. So here's my challenge for us today. This is my challenge, Right? Would you go into everything expecting good? Would you go into everything? Um, for example, all right, so what does that look like? Well, I'll prepare, expect, act, and then repeat that. All right, so what does it mean to go into, into everything expecting good? So today at church, right, every single Sunday we gather on Sundays. Um, I don't know what you came in expecting, but I can guarantee if you came in expecting today to hear something to take away with you that's going to help you, you probably already got it. And you might have already wrote, wrote it down and be like, man, that's the thing. I'm, I'm ready for this. But if you came today like somebody drug you here, like, man, I don't want to be here. Who's this guy talking? He doesn't know what he's talking about. He's not even that good looking. He's like, you know, all that, whatever, whatever your thoughts were. Maybe I went extreme there. Sorry. <laughs> if your expectations were negative about the service, about me or anything, I could almost guarantee that your, your outcome and your result was probably not the best because of expectation. Now, next week, we get to do this again. Can you imagine this whole week you begin to think about all right, what is time about expectation? I'm going to apply this. And what is he going to teach us next week? What is, what is God going to speak to me? It might be through me, but sometimes, guys, it's not. I have a lot of people I talk to after church sometimes. like, man, that thing you said last week about this and this. I'm like, I didn't say any of that. I don't know who told you that. But hey, listen, that was God, so keep listening. But it's what they needed. 
and they heard it in the service and put things together. However God does that, it's awesome. But come expecting. So what does that look like to prepare? Well, pray. Right? Going to work, would you pray and say, God, help me today. What are you blessing? What do you want me to do? And then you begin to expect something good in that. And then you follow through. So on, on next Sunday, this week, as you think about it, would you pray for me? You know, because if I get better, we all get better, right? If I get better, then I help more people. And, and if you're praying for me, more likely you're going to expect me to get better and you're going to expect God to be speaking to me, to me through to you through me. And that just helps the process. And then next Sunday, come expecting that God is going to speak something that's going to be life-changing, that's going to help you on this journey. And then make a commitment to say, I'm going to follow through, right? I'm going to act on what he's asking me to do. I'm going to let, I'm going to let what he's saying impact my week. And then I'm going to repeat that and be consistent. And I guarantee if you do this over and over and over, God will have a huge impact in your life. In fact, uh, we have 52 Sundays in, in, in a year, right? So I have 52 opportunities, maybe not myself, but our church and different communicators. We have 52 opportunities to speak life and to speak hope and encouragement into your life. What if, and we've already used two, well, today is the second one. What if for the next 50 weeks you would say, I'm expecting to learn something that's going to I'll, that's going to dra- ra- drastically trans- transform my life, my marriage, my finances. And you came expecting to hear something from God. What would those 50 w- weeks look like? What would those 50 skills that you would learn look like if you began to apply them? Sometimes the skills repeat. Sometimes they're the same one that we, we repeat throughout the years. But apply them. Do something with it. Right? And get in that rhythm. This is what church is. It's, it's a rhythm where we work six days, take one day off. Work six days, rest right? It's like we're climbing, climbing, climbing for six days. We're going to take a rest for a day. Man, catch your breath. All right, climbing, climbing, climbing. Hey, we're going to rest for a day. Catch your breath. That's the rhythm God gives us in life. Six days of work, one day of Sabbath, right? Work, rest, work, rest, work, rest. It's a cycle. It's a rhythm. So on Sundays when you come to church, we're giving you a framework to say, here's what God thinks about you. Here's what you should be thinking about. Let's move forward and trust God to do what he wants us to do, right? So in life, in work, you go to work tomorrow. What are you expecting? Are you expecting work to be horrible? It's most likely you're not going to be all that fun. When you get home, if you continue to think that way, it's not going to be work. What if you said you woke up a little earlier, got some that extra coffee you love, right? Maybe some Folgers. And uh, maybe you, you, you get that cup of coffee you love and you get ready for it. You get there a little early and you go in saying, today, I'm going to make a difference. Today is going to be a good day. Today, and then when something bad happens, you don't say, that's it, it's over. No, you say, hey, that's just one of the challenges I'll face. I, I expected some challenges to come. That's not a bad thing. I'm going to get better because of this. And you still stay expecting more and better and greater. And imagine for a whole week you did that. What kind of week would you have? If you're a student, you went to school instead of saying, this is horrible, I'm never going to use any of this, you'd say, what if, what if I applied myself? What if I listened? What if I asked the teacher some more questions? What if I didn't let those distract me and I wrote a little more and I just applied myself harder? What kind of week would you have? How much learning would you uh, take in? I guarantee it would be a lot. So I don't know where you're at on this journey. I'm not sure where you're at. All of us are in different places a lot of times. But this is I know. If you don't take the next step, you're going to stay stuck or eventually you'll find yourself in a worse place. Take the next step. Take the next step. First, we could talk about repentance, right? Recognize where you're at and turn to God. Second lesson, we talked about trust and trust God with your heart. Even when you go through t- difficult times, trust him. Today I'm saying expect great things. Expect good things in your finances. Expect good things in your life. At the end of service, we do this thing where we um, have everybody close our eyes and we ask those in this, this church that want to take the next step. Why do we do that? Because we expect there's people in this room that need to take that step. We expect every single Sunday there's somebody here that needs to commit their life to Christ 
so that you become a, a, a Jesus follower. And you know what happens every single Sunday? Somebody takes that step because we expect it. We prepare for it. We believe it. It's not by accident. You're here. And if that's you, I'm going to give you an opportunity in a second to take that step. In fact, would you close your eyes and bow your head today as we end our service? And as I've been speaking about expectation and about the songs and going to church, and I don't know what your experience is with church before, but let me just tell you, it could be the best experience of your life. In fact, some of our people in our church, they say that Sunday is my favorite day because I get to come and gather with some amazing people and learn something that helps us in this journey. I would love for that to be your new expectation about church. We want it to be fun. We want it to be engaging. So today as we end our, our service, if, if you're here today and you'd be honest enough to say, you know where I'm at, it's not good, it's not healthy, I'm off track, and I'm doing my own thing, and today I want to commit my life to God. I want to follow Christ's lead. I want to invite God to forgive me of my past and lead me into a better future. And if that's you and you're here today, would you be brave enough just to lift your hand? I'm not going to call you to the front, but just right there in your seat, would you lift your hand and say, that's me. Pastor Eric, I want to commit my life to Christ. I need his help. I can't do it without him. Awesome. I see a few hands going up. Anybody else? So good. Awesome. All right. If you raise your hand, I'm going to lead you to prayer. If you're a Jesus follower in this room, would you pray with us so that they're not praying alone? Say this. Say, Father God, today I need your help. I cannot do life without you. Forgive me of my past, of my mistakes, of my sin that have led me away from you. Today, I choose to go your direction. Forgive me. Lead me. Come into my life. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on that cross so we could have new life. Today, I accept you into my life. I put my trust in you. I want to follow your lead. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, church. Let's celebrate all those that prayed that prayer today.